What up? July 13th, 2018, one of the best days of my life. You see, for the three years before that, my wife and I had been faithfully trying to follow what we believed was a call that God had put on our heart to enter into foster care and adoption. So we attended some classes and got certified and about a year later, had a little girl placed in our home, sweet as can be, just a couple days back past her second birthday. Her, her history up to that point is sad. It's not my story to tell, but it was rough. And so for the next two years, my wife and I would travel to and from the visitation center and the courthouse, meeting with social workers meeting with biological parents. And those visitations were kind of hard for her, given her past. Can I see your backpack? And so what we do, what's in here, man? Dang. You got like a friend in here or something? Uh, what we would do to help her get through her visitation is we would pack a backpack for her. And that backpack would be a change of clothes. She was still young in case she had an accident. A lunch in case one wasn't prepared and brought for her. We'd put a water bottle or a juice box, put a blanket, put a stuffy, a little stuffed animal, a little lamb. And twice a week, we'd roll up to the visitation center, and like a brave little soldier, she'd clutch that backpack and walk through the automatic doors, facing the pain, facing the shame, facing her fear. But on July 13th, 2018, a miracle happened. God allowed us to adopt her. And so that fourth little kid, the little curly-headed one that you've seen running around with us, she was adopted. It wasn't much long after that that I was in my garage cleaning out some cabinets, making room. It was summer. Had to get the beach bag going and all that stuff. Kids are playing in the driveway, and I reach up, open this cabinet, and I see the backpack I don't know if there's things from your past that just immediately flood you with nostalgia, things that maybe remind you of pain. I pulled that backpack down and I just kind of started to look at it. Remembering all the times we packed it, it was a little more dirty from the first day we bought it. Might have been an old lunch in there, who knows. As I'm kind of looking at this backpack and reminiscing on that journey that God had taken us on, it was still too, too soon removed for me to have forgotten the, the pain of it, the emotion of it, the ups and downs, the will we keep her, will we not, when the little one runs up. And she goes, there's my backpack. I've been looking for that. I missed that. And, and I kind of felt this primal fatherly urge to protect her in that moment. And I said, well, babe, this, this backpack served a purpose, a purpose that we no longer need it for. This backpack, we're done with it. I'll get you a new backpack, whatever you want. And she kind of had her hands on it in that moment. And I tried to pull it, and I felt her pull back. I pulled a little harder. She pulled a little harder. 
I pulled really hard. She flew across the drive. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank you. You see, that backpack represented an old life for her. She had a name before we adopted her. She, she had a life before she came home with us. And that backpack, seeing it in that moment, flooded the both of us with emotions, and I felt the need in that moment to, as best and fundamentally as I can, teach a tiny little sermon to a tiny little human, reminding her that she didn't need it anymore, that what used to define her doesn't anymore. Little girl, you have a new family. Maybe you have a new name. Maybe you have a new identity. We don't need this anymore. And I think all she heard in that moment was, so I get a new backpack? <laughs> yeah, you get a new backpack. If you remember where we left off last night talking about sin, I, I think in a lot of ways, if you don't yet know the Lord Jesus, sin acts as a bit of that backpack for us. A life of sin can be a life of comfort, can be a life that you know, can be a life where your identity is so wrapped up in it that the thought of exchanging that way of life for Jesus seems impossible. How could I ever do that? Is there even a way? Tonight I want to finish that story that we started last night and clearly and boldly share with you that there is a way. Turn with me to John chapter 14. John 14. Just going to read the first six verses. Remember, Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John, go to chapter 14, starting in verse 1. It goes like this. Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you... I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas, who's one of Jesus' disciples, said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so you, can you show us the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Lord God, we pray tonight that you would teach us what the truth of your death and your resurrection is. God, I pray like a hound from heaven that there are, if there are people in this room who don't yet know you, that you would be chasing them down for the next 25 minutes. That God, as we look at the way that you have provided for us, to be back in relationship with you, to have our sin, the bad, the evil, the unholiness, the missteps, to be taken away and replaced with a new identity and a new forever home. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So Jesus is well into his journey here on earth. And in fact, the, the time from John 1 to John 14 was years. The time from John 14 to John 21 is 
weeks, maybe months. So we're kind of at the tail end of Jesus' earthly ministry here. And Jesus, after putting on full display his deity, doing miracles, raising and training up disciples, boldly telling people who he was. Remember, we've talked about this. Jesus wasn't shy about who he was. And when someone tells you who they are, it's good for us to listen. And so Jesus tells people, he goes, I I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. Earlier on this week, we read Jesus tell a woman at a well that he was the Messiah. We also saw Jesus prove that he was perfect and sinless with another woman who was caught in a terribly shameful and embarrassing moment in time. Jesus declares to her that she too could be sinless. It's important for us to know in a world where Jesus can mean so many different things to so many different people, he's very clear about who he is and why he came on this earth. You see, if we're not careful in today's day and age, an era that I would say for your generation is marked by TikTok theology, you get 60 seconds or or less to learn everything you could know about that person on the other side of the screen. Man, faith just doesn't work that way, friends. It doesn't work that way. You will never have a vibrant, deep, rich, spiritual life if the only time you spend with God is with your favorite TikToker who may or may not be declaring and sharing with you the full truth of who Jesus is. Spending time with God is how we develop that in our own lives. That's why a week at camp like this is so special and so important. Have you paused at all this week and thought, why am I here? What am I doing? You, you may not know the answer. It may have been a friend invited you. Maybe you grew up in the church and the lady that changed your diaper is now your counselor. It's always a little weird, right? Any of you born and like raised in church? Anybody? Yeah? Counselors? Yeah. And it's like that old person who's like, I remember changing your diaper. And you're like, bro, I'm 30. I don't think it's appropriate to say that anymore. Uh, I don't say that about anyone else. So I would appreciate you not saying it to me. In any case, I suppose what I'm trying to say is that here we are with yet another moment where Jesus is explicitly clear with who he is. We can't miss it. It would be impossible for us to misinterpret the words of Jesus in these six verses. So let's break them down really clear. Jesus is now looking at his disciples. And he's having a moment with them after an evening where he has washed their feet and told them everything that's about to happen at the end of his earthly ministry. I actually think I misspoke earlier. We're not talking weeks or months. We're talking days after this moment that Jesus is ultimately going to be handed over to the Roman officials and the Jewish officials, eventually crucified. Like, this is it. This is the last moment. This is fourth quarter. And his disciples are very distraught because there's this moment in John chapter 13 where Jesus tells them exactly what's going to happen down to, you're going to betray me, and you're going to turn me in for some silver. The disciples are like, what are you talking about? Like, imagine if your youth pastor, and maybe for some of you this, this has happened, but imagine if your youth pastor, a spiritual giant in your eyes, someone you look up to came to you and said, hey, in three days I'm gone. You're like, wow. That's a little bit of like what's happening here for the disciples. And so he begins this conversation by saying, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. 
I know that there's a lot of emotion and a lot of fear with what I shared with you, but I promise this has to happen. He says, you believe in God. Believe also in me. Why does he say that? Because truth be told, Jesus is God incarnate. That is to say, Jesus is God in human skin. He's saying, hey, if you believe in God, believe in me. We are the same person. But then he says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. It's as if Jesus is saying, hey, I know that I told you I'm leaving, but I promise I'm coming back. And I'm not just coming back, but I'm going to take you with me. We are going to go together. I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And you don't have to be scared anymore. This pathway that Jesus is describing for his disciples is the same pathway that you and I get to experience in eternity with Jesus as well. That's why he goes on to say, you know the way to the place where I am going. Think about that for a second. Jesus is looking at a table full of confused friends who are sad at the news that their friend is going to leave them. And he says, why are you even sad? You know the way to the place where I'm going. And Thomas, Lord bless him, goes, I don't think I know what you're saying. Uh, real quick. Was it like hang a left at the Sea of Galilee and then like go 10? Like, I'm not sure. It's, it's unclear to me what you mean. And so Jesus doubles down. Verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friend, let me, let me just say something to you. Look here really quick. There is no other way, by no means, by no strength, by no moral goodness, for you to be made right with God as a result of your sin, apart from having a relationship with Jesus, who calls himself the way to the Father. We know this to be true, because if there was a way, Jesus would not have to have come and died for our sins. There's no option B. There's no escape route. There's no shortcut. That's why last night we read in Ephesians 2. We read in Ephesians 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. For the wages of sin is death. But, but, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You have to understand this about your soul if you don't yet know Jesus. You have to know, as we talked about last night, that you are dead. And guess what dead things don't need? Dead things don't need someone to come and encourage them to do better. Dead things don't need someone to come and cheer them on in their self-care routine. 
Dead things don't need someone to come and say, hey, you tried your hardest today. Let's do it again tomorrow, pal. Why? Because dead means dead. A spiritually dead soul doesn't need encouragement. A spiritually dead soul needs resurrection. It needs to be brought back to life. Verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. You see, there is a way for dead things to be made alive. There is a way for a spiritually dead soul that is by nature deserving of wrath to be resurrected. And that way is quite literally the way, Jesus. That's why Paul goes on to write, for it is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ. Raised us up. Do you know what that's referring to? Take a guess. Not Simba. I like that. It's Ah, no, not that. Close. Close. It's resurrection language. The fact that God raises us up with Christ is referencing a resurrection power, the ability to revive something or someone that was dead. He goes on to say that not only are we raised up with Christ, but we're seated with him. It's not just that you found a second lease on life. It's that your soul has been reunited with its creator, able to live the life that it was meant to live from the beginning of time, but because of sin, had not yet had a chance to do so. You, through the power of Jesus' life, death, and ultimately resurrection, have the ability to experience new life in Christ, no longer having to be dead. He says, for it is by grace that you have been saved. And this is not of your own doing. Not as a result of works. Why? Because we boast. If I had the ability to save myself, I would be spiritually prideful and arrogant. And the fact that that is not a possibility for us means that Jesus coming and making dead things alive again is quite literally the best news that we can hear on a Thursday night. You've been saved by grace through faith. You see, what's going to happen in John chapter 14 is Jesus is going to be arrested. And he's going to be handed over to the uh, authorities and the people in power who had felt challenged by his influence and spiritual presence on earth. And like we saw in that incredible video, we're going to see that when given the choice to choose between setting free Jesus and setting free Barabbas, the same crowd that on Palm Sunday yelled, Hosanna, Hosanna, here comes our king, just on Friday begins to scream, crucify him, crucify him. And we'll go on to read in John chapter 19 that Jesus is brought before Pilate. He's handed over to the Roman and Jewish officials, eventually crucified the most torturous, painful way to die that Rome had in that day. Torturous death. And it wasn't just that they wanted to kill Jesus in a torturous way. It was that Jesus being killed in this way was the fulfillment of yet another couple dozen Old Testament prophecies that talked about how the Savior would be nailed to a tree. But here's where the story gets good. You see, as Jesus is carrying his cross to the place of the skull. 
ultimately to his tomb, offered to him by a guy named Joseph of Arimathea. He's on the way there. He's crucified. His body laid in the tomb. That tomb rolled shut. That tomb, by the way, was guarded by Roman soldiers because they believed Jesus' disciples to be religious fanatics who would have stolen his body to try and create some kind of revolutionary uprising and religious um, movement among the first century in that day. And on the third day, two of Jesus' female disciples go for a walk to pay their respects to their Messiah. And when they get there, an angel of the Lord appears to them and says, He's not here. Where'd he go? That would have been my question. Well, I got some flowers, so where is he? Oh, he's not here. You know why he's not here? Because the way, the truth, and the life beats death. Because Jesus, God in human skin, the almighty, all-powerful, holy creator of heavens and earth cannot be held by a tomb. He rises. And in that resurrection, the thing that we as Christians celebrate on Easter, Jesus proves that he has the power to make dead things come alive again. And friends, that's the best news we can ever hear. Because if where you sit tonight is in a place of spiritual death, what you need is the resurrection of Jesus to make your soul alive too. This is the gospel. This is what this entire camp is based around tonight. And there's been so many evenings where I'm like, I just want to finish the story. And tonight we get to. I want you to pause for a second and ponder this. Have you trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you invited him into your life? Have you begun to follow him, to chase after him, to do life with him? There's a couple words in John 6 that we read that are so special to me. Jesus tells us that he's going to prepare a place for us. Why? So that we can be with him. Jesus will later on say in Matthew 28, he says, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. This word with is a subtle note that plays all throughout Jesus' ministry. And the reason that I like to highlight it is because we live in a day and age where, where putting your faith in Jesus has in some way, shape, or form become an accolade, like a trophy you win on your Xbox, like defeating your favorite level on your favorite video game, like graduating from high school or college, like getting married or having kids, like having a well-paying job. We treat Jesus the same way we treat the other accomplishments in our life. But friend, the reason Jesus came and lived and died and rose again was not to make you morally good. It was to make you spiritually alive. And when we've been brought spiritually to life, then and only then do we get to experience life in the way that it was supposed to be lived way back when in the garden with our God. You see, the invitation from Jesus isn't just to take your sins away, but it's to replace that sin with a new identity marked by a new family, the church, marked by a new eternity in heaven forever with God. Praying a prayer one time at a camp 
Attending Awanas as a baby doesn't save you. Following Jesus as the Lord of your life is what exchanges that backpack filled with sin and sorrow and shame. It exchanges that old identity for a new one. The scriptures teach that in that exchange, we take upon ourselves the identity of Jesus. And so when we read a verse that says that you are by nature children deserving of wrath, that judgment cup passes from you. Why? Because God looks at you, he sees the identity and the blood of his son Jesus that was shed for the forgiveness of your sins, marking an opportunity for you to have new life and resurrection in Jesus. Somebody say amen. I always feel weird asking people to amen things that I say, but here we are. So what do we do? You might be sitting there going, cool story. Now what? Romans chapter 10 verse 9 is the now what? Romans chapter 10 verse 9 tells us how we can receive this beautiful gift and this beautiful new life. You see, Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't say you'll have a chance at it. It doesn't say if you do this enough times every year at camp, it might stick. No, God's word teaches that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that term Lord in all caps in your Bible refers to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's yet another place in scripture where we see the identity of Jesus the same as that of God. He goes on to say in Romans 10.10, for it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Hang on to that word believe for a second. Because that word believe acts like a beautiful chain link in one of the most popular verses that has ever been quoted today. Do you know what verse I'm talking about? We've already read it this week. What is John 3.16? Say it to me. It was in, it's in there somewhere, right? Do it, maybe do it with me. I kind of left you hanging. For God what? So loved. Pause. For God so loved the world, Greek word cosmos, all of humanity. God loved the world so much so that he sent his son Jesus. That whoever would, here's our word, believe in him, shall not perish but will have eternal life, everlasting life. Do you know what's interesting about the idea of belief? What's interesting about the idea of belief is that it's the one thing God won't do for you. Meaning you can spend your entire life in church. Heck, you could go to Bible college. You could go to seminary. You could become a pastor. You could share the very same message that I'm up here sharing to you. The same message that your youth pastor and counselors have been trying to get you to understand and comprehend. Trying to get you to emulate a way of life that says, I believe in this and still miss the point. Belief is me putting my faith in this message. Belief is me saying, God, I want you to take my sin away and replace it with your son. So the question I have for you is, do you believe in this message? Because Paul writes in Romans 10, 9, that if we confess with our mouth, 
and we believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, that he alone has the power to make dead things come back to life, then you would be saved. I want to extend an invitation for those of you to be really clear with this. I'm going to say this a few times. I want to extend an invitation to you who have never made this decision before. Now, I realize that when we hear about the goodness of God and the love that he has for us, those of us who have put our faith in Jesus but have maybe fallen into sin, maybe we got distracted, maybe we've wandered off course, maybe we've been led astray, we almost feel the need to like double down on it. But re-believing, re-putting our faith in it isn't what we need if we've put our faith in this message in the first place. What we need is to repent. What we need is to turn and to follow Jesus again. And so what I want to do is extend an invitation, not for those of you who have done this before, but for those of you who have not. For those of you who came here to camp this week, knowing full well that you've never put your faith in Jesus, I would like to give you that opportunity tonight. We're going to do so through a prayer. And so pray with me. Pray with me. God, I pray right now that you would give wisdom to, these, to the students in this room, to the counselors, to the youth pastors, to the camp staff. God, help us to examine our own hearts have I put my faith in this message? Is there a moment in my life where I can say, I believed? Is there a moment in my life where I can say, I repented of my sin and started following Jesus? Friend, as you sit in that place of self-examination, if you realize that this is something you've never done, the opportunity is right there for you. Paul tells us that all that is necessary for this is to confess with our mouth and to believe in our heart. This isn't something that we need to do every week, every year at camp, every couple years in youth group. This is a starting point. A starting point where you go on a journey of a lifetime following after Jesus. And so here's what I would like to do. On the count of three, if you would like to put your faith in Jesus for the first time, the first time, I want you to stand and say, I believe. On the count of three, if you would like to accept the love of Jesus into your life, to believe in him for the first time, to put your faith in him, to become what his word would call a disciple, on the count of three, I want you to stand and say, I believe. One, two, three. Stay standing. Stay standing. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else who would like to put their faith in Jesus for the first time tonight? Stand and say, I believe. A public declaration of what's going to become a new way of life for you. Stay standing. Awesome. Man. That never gets old. I want you to pray a prayer like this, cementing this decision that you're making for the first time, just in your mind, in your heart. If you're someone sitting around, someone standing, extend a hand as they pray. Pray something like this, God, thank you for your love. Would you take my sin away and replace it with your son? 
Would you remind me that because of you, Lord, I'm never alone. And now I get to spend all of eternity with you. Lord Jesus, help me to live for you for as long as my heart has a breath, my heart has a beat, and my lungs have a breath. Take a second and just thank God for this new life that you found tonight. Amen. Amen. Give it up for these guys. So listen. Man, how awesome was that? Listen. Here's the deal. Okay? Here's the deal. I've been in a position like this many times, but at a wedding. When you're standing in between a bride and a groom, and they exchange vows. And just like on a wedding day, if we're not careful, this new way of life ends the second you leave this room. And that would be such a tragedy. In the same way that a a wedding is not just about that day that you get married. Rather, it's about that person that you're in a covenant relationship for the rest of your life. That same exact concept is happening here today. For those of you who just stood and said, I believe for the first time. Just like in Mark chapter 113, when Jesus begins doing ministry on the shores of the Jordan River, he says, repent and believe the good news. That's precisely what you've done tonight. And your life now gets to be marked by being a member of God's global, big, beautiful, and oftentimes messed up family, the church. You now have an entirely new family, and because of Jesus, an entirely new identity. Look around you for a second. The men and women and boys and girls in this room have a much more significant place in your life as a result of you giving your life to Jesus than it did before. These are the people that you need to lean on. These are the people that you're going to look to to say, show me how to do this. Show me what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so before you guys head off to free time, before you get ready for the open mic night, I would love for you to have a chance, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, to hang back with your counselor and to ask him just that. Now what do I do? Will you show me what to do as a result of this newfound faith and identity I have in Jesus? And there may be a couple others of you that have prayed this prayer, that have been walking with God, but you find yourself in a season of hardship, of difficulty. For the next 45 minutes, this chapel is going to serve as a place for you to have serious, deep, and enriching conversations with people that would quite literally love to show you what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so with every ounce of maturity that you have in your body, I would love to dismiss those of you who did not give your lives to Jesus tonight to leave in a discipline of silence so that those who are just minutes old in the, in the family of God can hang back and hear some very special things that their youth pastors and counselors would like to say to them, Okay? And so let me pray one more time and thank God for tonight. And as soon as I say amen, as quiet as you possibly can, I would love for you to get your stuff and leave the room unless you're someone who stood tonight for the first time, okay? Lord, we thank you. We thank you for an incredible, incredible miracle that happened just before our very eyes. For people who believed for the first time in your resurrection, for people who believed in the first time that you have the power to save, God, this is work that you've been doing since the beginning of time. 
When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, that first sacrifice was made to sow clothes for them. God, from that moment forward, you have been in the work of redeeming and restoring and resurrecting people. May it never get old. May it always excite our souls. And for those who stood and received your love for the first time tonight, God, would you have and hold them? Would you pair them with someone who can show them what it means to be a disciple and a follower of yours? Would you mature their faith? Would you give them the boldness to share it with others? We love you so much. Amen. Amen. All right, remember, we're going to leave real quiet. Real quiet. Shh. Real quiet. That, that means no talking. Real quiet. We don't want to be a distraction. If you're someone who stood tonight, make sure you hang back. <laughs>